Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Friday, January 25th. And um, I mean, really, if you follow me on Instagram, you've seen my life in the last week and a half. I've been all over the place. I've been driving drove to Canada and back, I drove to Seattle and back. Um, I'm working, working some of that time I was working in Spokane. Uh, some of that time I was seeing friends and family. I was in the area, might as well stop. And, uh, and then, you know, a couple days ago I was in Seattle trying to get my life together, trying to figure out what the next step is for me. And so I just appreciate your patience. And I promise that this show, I, I know I've been saying this for a while. It's gone on far longer than I thought it would, but we're close to making progress and uh, man, I'm not in school right now. I'm not. I quit three of my four jobs trying to get on to the next thing in my next phase of my life. And paperwork is currently bogging me down. Uh, I want to start today with this. <clears throat> we need to have a hard conversation about the New Orleans Saints. Uh, for Saints fans, it's a sad conversation. It's very emotional for them. Um, in the NFC Championship game, the Saints got screwed. We can all admit that. I think it's true. Uh, there was a pass interference play that was made uh, the defender for the Rams committed pass interference and there was no flag thrown the, you know the penalty wasn't called and it was blatant it was obvious and that if that flag had been thrown if that call had been made um the Saints would have been given a first down in the red zone had a chance to run at the clock fully and kick a field goal probably they'd be in the Super Bowl I mean here are some facts we need to say is that that call likely cost the Saints quarterback Drew Brees another shot at a Super Bowl And if that call had been made, the Saints would be in the Super Bowl right now. It's very, it's like 99.9% guaranteed. That's the truth. Um, And, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, Nikkel Roby Coleman, the guy who committed the penalty for the Rams, that wasn't called, by the way, (laughs) uh, has been fined by the NFL for a helmet-to-helmet hit. And he came out and said, look, I got beat. And of course I committed the penalty. I was beat. I had to do something. I couldn't let the guy just catch the ball. Um, And when you add those facts together, man, it's, it's pretty... It's hard to swallow for a Saints fan. I can't imagine. Um, I I guarantee they feel screwed out of a Super Bowl opportunity, and I don't blame them at all. Um, Now, while on one hand I can recognize there's there's factual statements about that that hurt the the Saints. They feel very pained. They are sad that they missed out on a chance for the Super Bowl. I can't help but notice um, a couple other facts that that matter and are important um, is that even if the flag was thrown— it would have given the Saints a first down. They'd still have to either run in for a touchdown or kick a field goal, and that's not guaranteed. They could have been stopped. Maybe they missed a chip shot field goal. But even more than that, um, look, I acknowledge the Saints got screwed, but the Saints still had chances to win the game against the Rams in the NFC Championship game. You can't acknowledge, I mean, look, you can say terrible missed call, but the game goes on, and as the game went on, the Saints had two opportunities to win that game, and they blew it. I mean, first of all, it's weird. We deduce football games down to one play, one call, one thing. It's never that. It's a whole sequence of events that lead up to what happens, uh, that lead up to the final score. And uh, while you can argue all day that, yes, that call should have been made, it had a huge impact on the game, it probably kept the Saints out of the Super Bowl, you can still say that, well, the Rams got the ball with a minute 41 left on their own 25-yard line which means the Saints were up three points. The Rams had to drive 75 yards, and the Rams, the Saints were on defense with a chance to stop the Rams and win the game. They didn't stop the Rams. The Rams kicked a field goal. They went to overtime. Hey, that's the first chance the Saints had to win the game, and they blew it. They still, whether the call was made or not, they had the lead with two minutes left, and the Rams had to drive all the way down the field. The Saints couldn't stop them. But even more than that, the Saints got the ball first in overtime. This is what we all forget. We all talk about the call, the mispass interference. I understand the pain, the emotion that comes from Saints fans when they say that. But never forget, the Saints had the ball first in overtime. The Saints threw an interception. <laughs> uh, it's, it's sad and it's painful, but that's the second time the Saints had an opportunity to close that game out, and they blew it. All the Saints had to, had to do was ro- go down the field, score a touchdown, ball game. They're going to the Super Bowl. And so again, I, I understand why everyone feels screwed over if you're a Saints fan. I feel bad for you. I feel very sad. I'm sad. Drew Brees is my favorite quarterback of all time. Him and him and uh, Tom Brady. But the uncomfortable truth is that the Saints had 
after that call was missed, the Saints still had two opportunities to seal the deal and win that game, and they could not. And so I feel bad for the Saints. I feel bad for Saints fans. I know they feel screwed over. I understand why they feel screwed over. But it is also important to acknowledge it's not like that just ended the game right there. There were still opportunities for the Saints to close out that game against the Rams, and they didn't. Um, the Patriots are headed back to their third Super Bowl in a row. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I just want to remind everybody that this was the Patriots' bad season. This was the year the Patriots were off. If there was ever a year to beat the New England Patriots, this was it. And nobody could. Nobody could stop the Patriots. It's, it's, it's preposterous. It's unbelievable. I can't. I can't. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I remember in the preseason, everybody was saying, this is the end of the Patriots. It's over. You know, all this drama. You know, before the season started, the Patriots' longtime left tackle, Nate Solder, said, I'm done with the Patriots. I want to make more money. He left and went to the Giants. And then Danny Amendola left. He went to the Dolphins. And a couple players left. They lost their, they lost Malcolm Butler. They lost Deion Lewis to the Titans. The Patriots were unraveling. And then the Patriots, lo and behold, start the season one and two. They lost to the Jaguars. They lost to the Lions. It was ugly. And uh, that narrative, it, oh, the Patriots are done at one and two. Lost to the Jaguars, the Lions. It was starting to become really believable. And then you look at this year. Well, their longtime star tight end, Rob Gronkowski, fell off a cliff. He looks old. He looks worn out. He only had three touchdowns this year. 47 catches. He looks just like an average, normal, everyday tight end. And not to mention the New England Patriots wide receiver issues. Remember, uh, Julian Edelman was suspended for the first four games of the year. And, and even with Julian Edelman, did they really have a number one wide receiver? Not really. That was a narrative all year. The Patriots don't have the wide receivers they need. So they traded for Josh Gordon. They took a risk on Josh Gordon, a, uh, a receiver who, let's be honest about him, he's been unstable and kind of a mess with addiction off the field his entire career. And he worked for a couple weeks, and then he got kicked off the team as well. He left He left the team. I'll be more careful with the way I say that. But, uh, man, you know, left tackle. You lost your left tackle. No wide receivers. The roster looks old. A bunch of starters left in the offseason. And despite all of that, all the drama, and then add on top of that, the Belichick versus Brady drama all offseason. Do they like each other? Can they work together anymore? None of it mattered. None of it mattered mattered at all. The Patriots are here again in the Super Bowl. It's unbelievable to me. Um, you can hate them if you want. I respect it. Uh, I respect people who can get through that much adversity. And, and look, you may not like me saying that, but let's be real about the Patriots. You lose a lot of your roster. You don't have all the pieces you need. That's adversity. <laughs> Drama, people talking about you, people trying to tear you down. That's adversity. And the Patriots have a culture in place that is unfazed. Do your job, and if you do your job, we will win. That's been the motto with the Patriots for the last almost 20 years. It's unbelievable. You know, it's, it's weird how when you choose your place to work, whether maybe your college, maybe the group of people you just want to be around, choose wisely. Pick a good culture and pick a culture that values the things you value. Maybe you want time off. You want to be at a, a job that doesn't work that hard. You just want a lot of time off. Maybe you want to be in a culture that's really successful. You want to win games and be a part of something and do your job. You may not get paid the best, but you'll be in the Super Bowl almost every year. That's New England. And, man, it's just unbelievable to me. I mean, they're, they're a young team. They're going to be better next year. Um, it's, <laughs> I love it. I love watching the Patriots every week. The way they dominated the last two weeks has been, it's just, they dominated the Chargers. They dominated up front against the the Chiefs. I just was um, in awe. It's fun to watch. And so, yeah, the Patriots, what they've done for years, it's unbelievable. They're back in the Super Bowl again, and it's because of their culture. It's not because they have superior players. They have a good system that works. Uh, that you know They get the running backs, the ball a lot, uh, throwing uh, out of the backfield. But it's, uh, it's not just the system. It's the way the players on the New England Patriots roster buy into their leadership. They trust Bill Belichick. They trust Tom Brady. They do their job, and that is why they are back. I also want to mention, I am really happy for the L.A. Rams. Uh, it's just, it's awesome. 
you remember this offseason, the big narrative around the Rams was they spent a lot of money, they made a lot of moves, they brought in a ton of players, uh, and it paid off. And so I remember there was a comment on YouTube uh, on my channel a while ago that said, man, if the, if the Rams didn't make the Super Bowl with all the moves they made, it would be such a shame. And, and th- that person was right. Um, well done by the Rams. I mean, they, they made a lot of moves. They took a lot of risks. They went out and got Aqib Tlaib. Marcus Peters, a risky young corner who doesn't, he takes a lot of risks and a lot of chances to go get interceptions. They got Indomitian Sue, who's been a turbulent player at times. Um, they, they signed Aaron Donald to a bunch of money. They signed Todd Gurley. They took risks, and not that signing those guys were risk, but they said, we'll keep them happy because we want them on the field ASAP. And it worked out. Worked out for the Rams. They're in the Super Bowl, and uh, I, I just think the narrative that you can't forget about that is all the money, all the moves, all the decisions they made in the offseason to go get players and sign players, and Brandon Cooks. I mean, they've got a lot of people in the offseason that brought they brought into the Rams' locker room and it's really paying off for them, and it paid off in a big way getting them to the Super Bowl. Uh, we have a lot of stuff I want to talk about today. going to talk about Baker Mayfield, kind of his, his off-season antics, as maybe I will put it. <laughs> um, we'll talk about Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I, I, the Saints are done. I mean, the Saints are in trouble with Drew Brees, and they need to consider, is Teddy Bridgewater the guy they want to pay money to as a free agent to bring in? Uh, is he the guy? Is he not? We'll talk about that. We'll discuss that. We'll talk about some quarterbacks in college who have transferred. The Kind of the humor behind the stories um, of the quarterbacks transferring. We're going to talk about the Pro Bowl. We'll talk about the Bears' new defensive coordinator, Chuck Pagano. They hired him. Uh, I'll talk about that move. We'll talk about Nick Foles versus Carson Wentz. Who should the Eagles commit to and why? And uh, there's an interesting Derek Carr feud. Uh, Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback, is feuding with the first take ESPN first take hosts. And uh, I think it's a, a symbol and a, a symptom of one of the problems in the media just generally um, with the way we do things. I'll get to that. That'll be the very end of the show as a Derek Carr uh, brief little topic because it's really just me ranting about news. Uh, but in the meantime, remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Let's talk about Baker Mayfield. Let us talk about my man, Baker Mayfield. <clears throat> I watched a video the other day. It was, uh, it was Baker Mayfield and Cooper Manning. It was a Fox Sports show. Uh, doing a sketch and telling a bunch of one-liners and having fun. and It's a, it a comedy video, really, is what it was. And, and it was really funny. I mean, if you're a fan of Baker Mayfield, and if you understand what the Browns have gone through in the last year and a half this season, uh, it's, it's great. I watched it with my dad. He laughed. Uh, and it's a ton of fun. And sadly, the media took this video out of context completely. And um, the media said that, you know, Baker Mayfield was talking smack about Hugh Jackson, which was, it was one of the jokes in this sketch. But if you watch it in context, it's not bad. It's not a mess. It's not Baker Mayfield doing anything wrong. It's funny. It's, it's really, it's like an SNL sketch. And um, I, it's a really a frustrating thing people do is they take things out of context all the time. Sound bites and clips. And even, even some people I know were like, well, he did say that. It's like, yeah, he said it, but it's a joke. And you got to understand that it's a joke. Um, and, you know, I will admit the Baker Mayfield, Hugh Jackson thing. It's wearing a little thin on me. Like, at some point, Baker Mayfield, you just got to move on. feels like you're beating a dead horse. Um, But, I mean, personally, I'm a huge fan of Baker Mayfield. I love the guy. I love who he is. He really inspires me as not only a broadcaster, but just as a person, the way he carries himself. Baker Mayfield's totally, completely authentic. I I like that. I identify with that. Baker Mayfield lives his own life. He doesn't really care what anybody else thinks. He just does things his way. And, and I value that. I value that authenticity. That's a quality. Um, I mean, if you, watch, if you look at my Instagram, it's something I try to emulate. I really love the way he carries himself. And what's cool about the way he carries himself is that it's different from every other quarterback. And, uh, you know, most quarterbacks are really, really boring. And, 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 I've always liked that. I always liked, you know, Tom Brady, Drew Brees. They don't have a... 
huge personalities let their play speak for themselves. I always said, I was, especially in the draft process last year, I said, I really like who Sam Darnold is. Quiet, not, not overly quiet, but he doesn't feel the need to say his mind about stuff. He just plays football, and that's what he does. And uh, most quarterbacks do that. They keep their head down. They're quiet. They go to work. But not Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield staring down Hugh Jackson. He's doing sketch comedy with Cooper, Cooper Manning. Or I saw him on James Corden's show. James Corden's show. He was rubbing his face on an emu. It was hilarious. I, 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 and I have come to love that. And what Baker Mayfield is doing is changing the way that quarterbacks present themselves. He's changing the mold. Because what we've learned from Baker Mayfield is you can work your tail off. You can be a fantastic, great quarterback and still have a personality. You can have fun. You can make jokes. You can be outspoken. You can say your mind and still be a successful quarterback in the NFL. And so in recognizing that, I've decided I want to update one of my takes from 2018 um, it's one that I'll just I'll just get right into it. In in June 2018, June 28, 2018, before the NFL season started, I made a video called Baker Mayfield streaming video games really is not smart. And and I really do think I made a solid argument. I made some really good points in this video. I talked about how uh, I mean it just needs to be updated. But in the video I said, look, Baker Mayfield's not even a starter yet. Um, I said that broadcasting or streaming video games uh, is not smart because it puts a target on your back. If you fail in Cleveland, you're just going to give people a lot of ammunition to criticize you. And I was afraid that maybe Baker Mayfield was worried about his brand more than playing football. His pictures, you know, he took that tiger picture, doing underwear shoots, streaming video games. Um, And I really do believe that what you do off the field affects you on the field. Your habits matter. So I do legitimately believe I had some good points, but mm, it's nitpicking. You're just, you're completely nitpicking apart someone's life. And I have grown increasingly uncomfortable with that. I mean, criticizing Baker Mayfield for streaming video games, especially after he broke the rookie record for touchdown passes in a single season with 27. Now that he seems to have revived the Cleveland Browns franchise, criticizing Baker Mayfield um, for streaming video games seems silly. And my opinion on that has completely changed. As if I, I've just, in the last year, um, I've changed a lot as a person. My beliefs, my way of carrying myself, kind of my my style. um, I've become a lot more easygoing. So a guy streaming Fortnite, who cares? Who cares what Baker Mayfield does for fun in his free time? In fact, he made a good joke. I, I, was, I saw a clip the other day. Baker Mayfield said he was running in Fortnite, and he said, man, I hope I'm running faster than I did in Arkansas. And I laughed. It was, I, I, in the moment, just laughed out loud to myself in my room. It's funny because he ran from cops once and was tackled in Arkansas. It's great. It's self-deprecating. Um, and I just, the more I look at Baker Mayfield, the more I feel like, why nitpick a guy? Why, why pick apart the things a guy does for fun? And I really look back at that Baker Mayfield video games take, and I think it's one of my worst takes of last year entirely. I mean, it kind of reminds me of that, uh, that ESPN clown who criticized Deshaun Watson for wearing a purple sweatshirt on the sidelines of the national championship game. It's like, who cares? Who cares? Why, why are you nitpicking a guy? Why, why can't players just be who they are? And as my audience grows, um, people that watch my show and follow me on Instagram have started picking apart my life and picking apart the things I do for fun. And I would be a complete hypocrite if I were still to sit here and go, Baker Mayfield can't stream video games because who cares what a guy does for fun in his free time. And I've learned that rest and having fun and enjoying life is actually really valuable. And so um, as I've evolved and my opinions have changed, I've grown and um, I don't know. And really, my approach to creating content has changed. Baker Mayfield, do whatever you want. Um, I think it's, it's funny how uh, we got to let Baker Mayfield be the person he is. Be himself. Um, you know, Strong Opinion Sports is a great name. I'm really proud of it. But not everything's black and white. Not everything is all good or all bad or um, all right or all wrong. I don't know. Some things are nuanced. 
And so I really hope that Strong Opinion Sports reflects that. I try to choose topics that are uh, interesting and authentic. And I, I think it'd be very intellectually dishonest if I didn't say that Baker Mayfield playing video games is not a big deal. And, and I love the person he's become in the offseason. He's wildly entertaining. He's really fun to listen to. I love his interviews. And I'm, I'm a fan of who he is, the way he carries himself. Again, I'll repeat this again. I, I just think we need to let Baker Mayfield be himself. He's kind of changing the mold on the way quarterbacks are presented. And I, I think that's fantastic. I think it's wonderful. And I, I really support the things Baker Mayfield's doing this offseason are, are fantastic to me. They're funny videos. They're entertaining content. And we need to just let Baker Mayfield be the person that he is. Um, I need some water first. I'm feeling good today. I feel like kind of zen. I'm just in my place. I, uh, this is a weird episode because a lot of the times I'll have like, these are like a, a strong opinion sports episode. Let's be very honest about it is often a collection of short videos. I mean, it's like, Eight minutes, eight minutes, eight minutes, eight minutes. We change topics every eight minutes or so. And it's, I just release each part as a YouTube video. And this, this episode's very different because it's a lot of really short, like three minute clips altogether and three minute takes. And I don't have a lot of YouTube breakouts for this episode. I'm going to put out a 45 minute podcast, probably a Baker Mayfield clip, probably a Saints clip. And that's it. Um, Cause I, I just realized I got to make content, whatever I have to say, I got to say it. And I can't try to make it fit certain time frames or whatever. Um, I do want to say before I move on to Drew Brees and why I'm worried about him um, in the future is next week I'm doing a podcast with my good friend Nathan Hawthorne. He's a Division One wide receiver at Portland State University. And so uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting episode. We're going to do a, a normal news show, a normal like here's a topic. Let's have our opinions. We'll talk and we'll debate stuff. I think it's going to be really fascinating because he is a wonderful guy, very well spoken. And again, he's been playing college football for the last four years. And so I think his opinions and perspectives, especially like on players like Antonio Brown, is very, very valuable. I lean on him for certain things at times. You know, I call him up. He's one of my sources. And so doing that podcast with Nathan is going to be really, really great. That'll be next week. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, I want to now shift gears to Drew Brees. When I was 14 years old at Thanksgiving dinner, um, I remember I'd load up my plate just completely. I'd fill it up. And I ate as much as I possibly could. I could just, I could eat like an entire turkey, basically. I could eat so much. And now at 21, I still load up my plate the exact same way because that's what I've done my whole life, except that I can no longer eat as much. <laughs> I, my brain is still the 14-year-old brain thinking I can eat this giant amount of food. And uh, I load up my plate like I have always done, and my stomach is smaller than my brain, and I can't eat everything I put on my plate anymore. And as, as I get older, a lot of things like that have changed. My eyesight has gotten worse. Um, I can't stay up late as much. I can't eat as much. Can't eat ice cream without feeling like crap the next day. Can't drink as much. Um, and I'm only 21. Like <laughs> That tells you a little bit about my life. I've been doing some stuff for a while. Um, but the point is that as we get older, we change. And, and Drew Brees has changed. If you watch Drew Brees later in the 2018 season, he really, really steadily declined downfield his arm strength his deep passes they began to flutter they began to drift and float downfield and um I feel I feel for Drew Brees because his entire career he's been able to make certain throws and now at 40 years old the throws he's always been able to make he can't do anymore it's no longer feasible he'll go to wind up to make a throw he could make easily when he was 25 and now the ball doesn't get there on time. It flutters. It hangs in the air. His arm strength isn't what it used to be. His arm strength is declining. And uh, the Saints were pretty resourceful. They found a way to combat this and a way to make up for Drew Brees' lack of arm strength. The Saints put in Taysom Hill. He's their backup quarterback. He played quarterback at BYU. And uh, they use him sort of as a wildcat type quarterback. They run the ball a lot with Taysom Hill. Every once in a while they have him throw a deep ball. Um, but to make up for Drew Brees' limitations throwing the ball, they use Taysom Hill as kind of a gadget player. They put him at wide receiver and use him at kick returns, and sometimes he plays quarterback. And a lot of the times you'll see, like, even on third down, Drew Brees isn't the quarterback in the backfield. They have Drew Brees split out wide, and Taysom Hill is under center or in the shotgun playing quarterback. And as Drew Brees gets older, in the next year or two years, 
his flaws are going to become even more significant. Those problems Drew Brees is having throwing the ball downfield, they're going to get worse and worse and worse, and they're just going to magnify. And so as much as I love Drew Brees, my favorite quarterback, him and Tom Brady were my two favorite quarterbacks growing up. My whole life loved him. Made a video called Five Inspiring Quarterbacks. I talked about why Drew Brees and Tom Brady are my favorites. Um, however, sadly, um, the end is near for Drew Brees. His career is coming to an end. You can feel it. You watch him play football. You go, yeah, he really doesn't uh, have the same arm strength he used to have. Some of that, I, and my theory is he's on his tiptoes a lot. You watch him throw his deep balls. He kind of gets really high. Doesn't use his legs a lot downfield. Um, now, my fear is that the Saints just lost in the NFC Championship game. They kind of got robbed. The Rams were going to the Super Bowl, not the Saints. And uh, my fear is that that was Drew Brees' last chance to make it to a Super Bowl. I don't know that he's going to get this opportunity again. Um, not that the Saints are bad, but if you watch you know, guys like Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, they're all declining. Their arm strength is declining with their old age. Weirdly enough, if you watch Tom Brady, he's the only quarterback, the only old quarterback who still throws the ball maybe even better than he when he was young. Tom Brady. I'm not sure if it's Tom Brady's lifestyle, if it's genetics. It's probably a mixture of both. Tom Brady's got a couple years left, a couple good years. He still throws the ball just like he did two, years, two three, five years ago. Um, however, the Saints and the Chargers, they got to find replacements for their quarterbacks, Phillip Rivers and Drew Brees. The Saints got to find something, got to find a successor. And at first glance, many people that are fans of the Saints especially would say, the Saints are fine. Their, success, their succession plan at quarterback is to have Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill, the backup quarterback for the Saints. Uh, again, at a glance, it makes sense. Taysom Hill played a lot this season. He makes a lot of throws. Um, he's a great runner, but the truth is that's really what he does best is Taysom Hill is a running quarterback. It's kind of gimmicky. They run a lot of weird play action and fly sweeps and zone reads, and they don't run a traditional offense with Taysom Hill. I do not believe that Taysom Hill is the long-term answer at quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. It's just kind of a, he's a wildcat quarterback. He's like Tim Tebow. He's more Tim Tebow than Drew Brees. There's one other option to consider for the New Orleans Saints. Um, it's an unpopular one right now, I would imagine, in New Orleans, but it is Teddy Bridgewater. In 2018, Teddy Bridgewater signed, he, well, he, he got traded to the Saints. The Saints traded for Teddy Bridgewater. And he had a one-year deal. He had a one-year contract with the Saints, which means that in March 2019, a month from now, Teddy Bridgewater will become a free agent. So he could stay with the Saints. They have a chance to re-sign him. And if they don't, he's an un unrestricted free agent. He can go wherever he wants, wherever the best deal is. And uh, I believe, I firmly believe the Saints should re-sign Teddy Bridgewater. Here's why. It's interesting. I, and this is why it's an unpopular belief. Teddy Bridgewater started one game for the Saints last year. Week 17 against the Carolina Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater was 14 for 22 passing with one touchdown, one interception, and only 118 yards. He struggled. Wasn't great. And I actually believe part of him struggling is why it's good for the— is that's a really good thing for the Saints. The fact that Teddy Bridgewater didn't go out and kill it week 17— is a blessing in disguise for the New Orleans Saints. It means that demand for Teddy Bridgewater is really low. No one really believes in the guy. And uh, there, he's a pretty low price in the free agent market. If you want to re-sign Teddy Bridgewater, it's, it's well more than likely. If he goes out and kills it week 17, Jaguars would snag him up instantly. Because he kind of struggled in week 17, it means the Saints could get him at a bargain price. That's good. And I really believe after watching Teddy Bridgewater in week 17 against the Panthers, uh, I don't think he's hopeless. I don't think he's a lost cause. I would imagine Teddy Bridgewater watched that game and learned a ton. I'm sure he watched it and went, oof, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. I got to learn from that. I got to do better on this play. But that's life. That kind of happens sometimes. I don't know. You got to remember that. Teddy Bridgewater's last start before week 17, 2018 was over two years ago in January 2016. 
So he played the 2015 season all through, got to the first round of the playoffs. Teddy Bridgewater got hurt uh, in, in the offseason. So Teddy Bridgewater didn't play at all in 2016. He played two snap. He had two pass attempts in 2017. Teddy Bridgewater hadn't played a game in two years. But he's a talented player. Remember, Teddy Bridgewater is a first-round pick. And not just a first-round pick. I mean, I know that a lot of players have been first-round picks. He was the franchise quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings until he got hurt. It was devastating for the Vikings. So uh, you watch Week 17. Here's what happened with Teddy Bridgewater. He just struggled with pressure. There were guys open underneath. A linebacker would blitz. And when a linebacker blitzes as a quarterback, you got to get really excited because that means somewhere on the field, especially short in the middle, space has opened up. The middle linebacker blitz. If you run right at me, the middle linebacker blitzes right at me. There's a vacancy right where you were standing. People blitzing, getting pressure in your face isn't necessarily bad. And Teddy Bridgewater didn't handle it well. He didn't recognize blitzes very well. He didn't check down underneath. Lots of guys were open underneath. Short to intermediate passes right in front of Teddy Bridgewater were there. And he either took sacks, ran around, or tried to throw the ball deep downfield. Especially on the goal line. It was a really, really egregious play where... The, the backers came, they, the, the Panthers ran an all-out blitz. I believe it was Michael Thomas was wide open at running a slant right in front of him, and he tried to throw a corner ball into double coverage behind him instead of just throwing underneath, replacing the linebackers and scoring a touchdown. And so, um, that's, I mean, that's the Saints offense. If you can't understand how to dink and dunk underneath, you're not going to work in the Saints offense. That's why Drew Brees has been successful for so many years. But I really think this is a case of Teddy Bridgewater just needing reps. I, sometimes you got to just see it once before you can do it again. First time playing in two years. You think he wasn't a little bit nervous? Think he wasn't a little bit? I know you don't want to hear that. You want to hear quarterback had veins of steel. Uh, but this guy had his knee blown up, like destroyed. And he's never played, didn't play a lot in this offense. I'm sure he didn't get a bunch of reps all week in practice. Sometimes you just got to do things first before they click. And I really would be curious. The Saints got to work with Teddy Bridgewater for an entire season. They know who Teddy Bridgewater is. And I'm certain they probably know whether or not they want to keep him. But if the Saints did decide to keep him, I, despite his struggles, I wouldn't be concerned. I still have hope for Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, truly, Drew Brees, his ability to throw the ball downfield is steadily declining. Drew Brees' days are numbered. You got to figure out something. Got to figure out somebody when Drew Brees ultimately retires and walks away. You need some kind of backup plan. Week 17, Teddy Bridgewater made a lot of solid throws. He wasn't terrible. He missed some reads, didn't, didn't recognize Blitz very well. He's got a good arm. I think he just needs more reps and he needs coaching. I really believe you watch Teddy Bridgewater week 17 against the Panthers. There's something there. I think he needs to watch film and go, That's I got to make that throw, got to make that throw, got to make that throw. But he's not a lost cause. And if it's not Teddy Bridgewater, I don't think it's Taysom Hill. If they're not going to commit to either one of those guys, the Saints have to pick somebody in the draft because Drew Brees' days are more numbered than they were last year. He looks worse and worse, not just as the season, not just with every season. Week five, Drew Brees was a better quarterback with a stronger arm than he was in the NFC Championship game than he was in Week 12. He steadily declined all season, throwing them all deep downfield. And so uh, the Saints got to find some kind of succession plan after Drew Brees. <clears throat> Anybody know what the Senior Bowl is? The Senior Bowl is where a bunch of the top draft prospects in the NFL um, kind of the combine, all that whole in the draft process, they all go play a an all star game in Mobile, Alabama. And so, is it Mobile? I think it's Mobile. I don't think it's where. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna say Mobile. I don't know. I think it's Mobile, Alabama. Either way, uh, that is tomorrow. Today's Friday. Tomorrow's Saturday. That tomorrow is the Senior Bowl. And there are two quarterbacks I think you should pay attention to. The first one's Drew Locke. Drew Locke is tall. He's like 6'5", huge arm. All-star games are made for people like Drew Locke. Drew Locke has everything to gain in this game. Throwing the ball deep, showing off his flashy, big, strong arm. 
if Drew Locke doesn't kill it in the Senior Bowl, it's a very disappointing thing because he has every reason to kill it. A lot, there's going to be a lot of man coverage, a lot of opportunities for a guy with a big arm to show it off. So watch for Drew Locke, the Missouri quarterback, the former Mizzou quarterback. He should dominate. He's got everything to lose, everything to gain. The other person to watch, interestingly enough, is Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew is, uh, he's, he's a fascinating NFL quarterback. You look at all the top 10 lists, he's not on it. Nobody gives Gardner Minshew any respect. The biggest question with Gardner Minshew is his arm strength. Does he have a deep ball? Does his deep ball flutter downfield? Does it kind of hang in the air? Or can he really drive the ball downfield? And we're going to learn about Gardner Minshew on Saturday. Does he have good enough arm strength to hang around at this level with NFL guys? Can he hang around? Can he dominate? Where does his arm strength work out? He's a guy that really understands defenses. I think he's a long-term backup in the NFL. Compare him to Jake Browning at Washington. Washington State and Washington. Two and two senior quarterbacks going to the NFL draft process. Jake Browning's not even a backup. He sucks. Gardner Minshew understands defenses. He's got great footwork. He ties his eyes to his feet really well. This is a guy who has great fundamentals and a good understanding of how to play quarterback. But we're going to find out on Saturday, does Gardner Minshew have the arm strength necessary to hang or dominate in the NFL? We'll find out what kind of arm strength he has. That's what I want to watch on Saturday in the Senior Bowl. Here's a really funny story. Um, let's talk about quarterbacks transferring. <clears throat> Ohio State quarterback Tate Martell is transferring to the University of Miami. And this is just, it's, it's comical. It's hilarious to me. This is funny because Georgia quarterback Justin Fields is transferring to Ohio State. And when that announcement was made, when it was kind of rumored and announced that Justin Fields is going to go to Ohio State. Tate Martell, Ohio State's current quarterback, talked really tough. Ugh. He said, I'm going to fight hard. Good luck to anybody that comes to Ohio State. I'm impersonating him. I shouldn't. He said, good luck to anybody who comes here. This offense took me two years to master. I've mastered it. Takes a long time to learn this offense. He really was trying to. He's basically, Tate Martell was peacocking. He was trying to get the guy, Justin Fields, to change his mind and feel intimidated. And Justin Fields did not back down at all. And when push came to shove, when they both were on Ohio State's roster, uh, Tate Martell caved in. <laughs> he transferred. Kind of funny. Uh, kind of wimpy looking, but hey, I think I understand. Tate Martell doesn't want to be a backup. He wants to play. He's headed to Miami. That's great. But Tate Martell choosing to leave Ohio State helps me understand Justin Fields' mindset in choosing that school far better. It makes way more sense that Justin Fields chose Ohio State now because it shows me Ohio State said, we believe in you, Justin Fields. He's their guy. He's the guy the coaching staff wants. And it sounds like Tate Martell got the message. He said, okay, well, Ohio State wants Justin Fields. They don't want me. So he left. He went to Miami. I think it's a good fit for him. I think that, first of all, Justin Fields is a great match with Ohio State. That's an NFL quarterback factory. Um, He's an NFL quarterback, caliber quarterback. He's got a great arm. He's got a great ability to run the ball. Like better, He's a better runner than Tate Martell and a far better passer than Tate Martell. Um, And I think he's likely the future of Ohio State. He's a probably future first-round pick. He's a big, big deal. He's going there. Now, Tate Martell... So, Justin Fields going to Ohio State, win for him. Huge. And Tate Martell's in a good spot, too. He's, he's, a, he's winning big by going to Miami. First of all, look, it's Miami. It's a great place to live. Um, but he's likely to go somewhere he can play. And it works out for both sides. Um, Miami's quarterbacks have had issues off the field. They've been a little bit turbulent. Miami's current quarterbacks, Nikosi Perry, a couple other guys. Tate Martell brings stability to the Miami program. He's not an NFL quarterback. I don't think he doesn't have the arm talent necessary, but he's a really good quarterback. He'll play well in college. He's good for Miami. He'll be a face of their franchise. He'll, he's a star. People like him. He's well-liked on social media. And uh, again, he brings some stability, some commitment in the weight room. He's not going to screw up off the field. Tate Martell gives Miami the stability they need at quarterback. It's a win-win for both Miami and for Tate Martell and Ohio State. 
upgraded at quarterback. Justin Fields gets to play somewhere at a great program. I think they could very likely be in the college football playoff with Justin Fields as their quarterback down the future. I hope how, how great would it be to see Georgia versus Ohio state Jake from versus Justin Fields, the two former Georgia quarterbacks facing off at different schools in the college football playoff. That is very, very possible. We could see that. Another thing we got to talk about another, another quarterback transferring Oklahoma quarterback, Austin Kendall is transferring He's going to be a graduate transfer. He's leaving Oklahoma and going to West Virginia University. Here's why this story is funny. It's so interesting to me. At first, Oklahoma blocked his transfer. That would stop him from being able to play in 2019. And then it was announced. The hypocrites, (laughs) Oklahoma. Uh, Jalen Hurts, Alabama's quarterback, is doing a graduate transfer to Oklahoma. So Oklahoma's quarterback is graduate transferring away from Oklahoma. At the same time, Oklahoma is receiving a graduate transfer quarterback. And Oklahoma got called out for their hypocrisy. Eventually, they caved in. And they are now allowing Austin Kendall to transfer. Austin Kendall is immediately going to be eligible to play at West Virginia. And likewise with Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, the former Alabama quarterback, will be immediately eligible at Oklahoma. And... um, Oklahoma's quarterback next year is either going to be the grad transfer, Jalen Hurts, or five-star true freshman quarterback, Spencer Rattler. And uh, here's my opinion. Personally, I think the edge goes to Jalen Hurts. He's more mature. Uh, Spencer Rattler got in trouble off the field this year. He got suspended for the end of his football season. And I really hope that if Jalen is named the starter, I really hope Spencer Rattler doesn't get impatient. I hope he stays at Oklahoma. He's an incredible talent. He's a wonderful quarterback, ability-wise. I think the uh, the opportunity to learn from Jalen Hurts, not just about how to play the quarterback position, getting a year of reps at Oklahoma to be good for Spencer Rattler, but also a year around J- uh, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is a guy I had the utmost respect for. The way he stayed at Alabama, stayed with his friends, stayed with his brothers, supported Tua Tungavaloa. He's a guy with a lot of class. And if you're Spencer Rattler, an 18-year-old freshman, I think there's a lot you could learn from a year with Jalen Hurts as a backup, not playing, soaking in the playbook, being around Jalen Hurts, getting to experience what he's like and how he carries himself could be so good. The future of Spencer Rattler could be better if he takes a year off and learns behind Jalen Hurts. I think, I hope, I really hope five-star quarterbacks, Spencer Rattler's the only five-star quarterback in the 2019 quarterback class, high school quarterback class. I really, really hope Spencer Rattler shows some patience. And if he doesn't play immediately, I hope he doesn't transfer. Every other five-star quarterback transfers at some point. Please, Spencer Rattler, if you're not the starting quarterback, you got to wait one season behind Jalen Hurts. I think it could really benefit him as a person and as a football player if he sticks around, learns, and learns from Jalen Hurts. Not to mention, Spencer Rattler, the quarterback talent he is, with the coaching that Lincoln Riley has at Oklahoma, it's a match made in heaven. It says enough that two quarterbacks in a row have won Heisman trophies at Oklahoma. And look, maybe Spencer Rattler's the better quarterback he plays day one. That's very possible. But if he doesn't, I hope he sticks it out. I hope he has patience at Oklahoma because the coaching at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley is unbelievable. And the opportunity to learn from a guy with the class, the character, and the ability of Jalen Hurts is, is, is fantastic. We also got to remember what kind of quarterback is, is Oklahoma getting? Which version of Jalen Hurts is Oklahoma getting? Uh, If it's Jalen Hurts from two years ago, that guy's not very good. Jalen Hurts two years ago was a very marginal quarterback. He was fine. uh, Very limited throwing the ball downfield. But if you watch Jalen Hurts this year, and especially if you watch Jalen Hurts in the SEC championship game this year, Jalen Hurts is a far better quarterback. And I don't think it's unlikely to believe. A lot of people are saying, well, Who cares if Oklahoma gets Jalen Hurts? He sucks. I get why people feel that way. Because two years ago, he was a pretty limited quarterback. However, isn't it possible at all that Jalen Hurts really significantly improved in the last year? Working, training with Tua Tungvaloa every single day, a Heisman candidate. Training side by side, pushing each other, growing, fighting really hard for that quarterback spot at Alabama. Isn't it possible that Jalen Hurts is a far better and much improved quarterback 
a much improved quarterback in comparison to what he was two years ago. I, I think it's very possible Oklahoma's getting a much different quarterback than we saw last time Jalen Hurts was a starting quarterback in college football. And I'm really hopeful for Oklahoma. I think Alabama, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma, is going to do great things for Jalen Hurts. And I think Jalen Hurts could do a lot of great things for the school of Alabama, for, of Oklahoma. Excuse me, Oklahoma. I think Jalen Hurts could do good things for them. I think their coaching could do good things for him. He's not an NFL quarterback, but he's got one year left of eligibility, and I'm excited to watch him play at Oklahoma. <clears throat> the Chicago Bears. Uh, the Chicago Bears have hired Chuck Pagano to be their defensive coordinator. I love, I love, I love this move. This is a great move. Um, Chuck Pagano is the former Colts head coach. He was marginal as a head coach. I'll put it that way. Um, he was a Colts head coach from 2012 to 2017. And uh, as a head coach, he was 53 and 43. Not to mention, by the way, this is important. In the 2012 season, Chuck Pagano missed 12 games due to cancer treatments, which is sad. It sucks. I feel very for him. I'm glad he got through it. Um, but in the first three seasons with the Colts, the Colts were 11 and five. And that's when Andrew Luck was healthy. Then Andrew Luck got hurt and Chuck Pagano lost more and more. They went eight and eight, eight and eight again. And then in 2017, the Colts went four and 12 and they fired Chuck Pagano. And his entire tenure with the Colts, people were very critical of Chuck Pagano saying, is he really a good coach or is he just there because he had cancer and he can't fire a cancer coach? I don't know. That's brutal to say, but that, that's also true. That's what a lot of people were saying in a nutshell. Um, here's what I like about Chuck Pagano as a, as a defensive coordinator. I think he's fantastic. Um, from the Bears' perspective, this is such a great move. Chuck Pagano said he has no interest in being a head coach again. He's done it, doesn't want to do it, just wants to be around football. And uh, I think his past experiences matter. If you're the Chicago Bears... You look at Chuck Pagano, he's been a head coach. He's played in the AFC Championship game, coached in the AFC Championship again, game, excuse me, multiple times. Um, Chuck Pagano has been through some stuff. He's seen some stuff. He's also the former Ravens defensive coordinator. So I'm really happy for the Bears because the Bears have a young second-year head coach, Matt Nagy. And Chuck Pagano can help Matt Nagy not only as a veteran coach, he's been there as a head coach before, as a counselor, as an advisor, he's also a great defensive mind. On one hand, again, experience, some leadership, maybe uh, some an advisor role to help counsel Matt Nagy, a young second-year head coach. But he's also, again, a coach who simply understands defenses. Got a great mind for football, really good at schematics. And so Chuck Pagano married with the Bears defensive roster, <laughs> Khalil Mack, Come on. Chuck Pagano's in great shape. I think the Bears made a great hire. I know that when you hear the name Chuck Pagano, you don't go, yeah, great hire. But I think that we should give Chuck Pagano a little more credit. Coach Dre Lewis, <laughs> he did a lot of good stuff with the Colts for a couple of years. First couple, then Andrew Luck got hurt. It's hard to win when your quarterback's hurt. I was actually surprised. He, he only had one losing season, and it was the Andrew Luck lost year. I was actually surprised that, you know, all things considered, I thought Chuck Pagano had a better record than I could have expected, which means his defenses were solid. He's got a good understanding of how to play defense and how to coach defense. And so I think the Bears are in great shape. They hired maybe the best possible candidate to be their defensive coordinator. And uh, I was actually upset. I wanted the Browns to get Chuck Pagano. And the Bears snatched up a really good one. I'm excited for the Bears. A um, couple, couple topics left. We're going to talk about the Pro Bowl. Talk about Nick Foles versus Carson Wentz, and we'll talk about the media and Derek Carr. First, though, um, the NFL Pro Bowls this weekend, and I, I just could care less. I do not have any interest in this game whatsoever. It's a crappy, non-competitive, non-interesting All-Star game, and and I'm sorry, but I'm not going to watch. I, I'm not going to watch the NFL Pro Bowl. Don't have any interest. Here's what did it for me. Here's what really ruined the Pro Bowl for me is the fact that Dak, uh, Dak Prescott and Mitchell Trubisky are both pro bowlers. The best players all dropped out. All the best players, the guys, the top quarterbacks, the top players in the NFL, they're not going to the pro bowl. If 
Dak Prescott, the Cowboys quarterback, and Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears quarterback, can make it to the Pro Bowl, there's a problem. It's a joke. I don't care. Nothing against Trubisky and Prescott. They seem like good people, good men, nice guys. But they're not a representation of the best the NFL has to offer. Having Mitchell Trubisky, I laugh at it. Really? Mitchell Trubisky? It just delegitimizes the entire thing. It's already going to be a wacky game. Nobody wants to tackle. And look, NFL All-Star Games, NFL, like the Pro Bowl, it's just a silly idea. It doesn't work. Nobody has any incentive to try hard. No one has any incentive to tackle guys. Nobody wants to get hurt. I would rather, I would legitimately rather just read a list. I wish the NFL just named, here are the two best players at every position in the NFL. Bang, that's the Pro Bowl. If I had a list to debate, that's more interesting to me than some game I'm not going to watch and don't care about. With players I don't care about. Because at least we can include Aaron Rodgers and all these guys that are deserving of it but are not going to be there. So I don't know. Just not a fan. Uh, I will say this. If you want to watch the Pro Bowl, if you have any inclination, if you're a person like, I just, I love the Pro Bowl. I want to watch it. Or maybe you're like, you're, you're not as sour on it like I am. You're just curious. Uh, here are some reasons that you could be interested in watching the Pro Bowl. They're all camera angles. I've worked in sports production. Uh, worked for a lot of sports networks. Look at my Instagram. It's pretty fun. Uh, they're going to add a couple camera angles in the Pro Bowl. They're going to add helmet cam. They're going to put cameras on players' helmets. They're going to put cameras on the referees' hats. They're going to have really like field-level views of the football game. Gonna have a camera in the locker room before the game, and they're gonna put a 3D camera on the on the in the end zone on the back of the end zone, looking at all angles of the the end zone. So you, when touchdowns are scored, you'll get really cool, interesting camera angles from a 360 camera in the end zone. Uh, a ton of people are gonna be mic'd up, and uh, so if that's if that's what you want to watch. It's gonna be interesting production, I guess. But ultimately, again, I I can't find a reason to care about the Pro Bowl. I just I just don't. I don't have any interest. It seems like a silly joke to me. The fact that Dak Prescott got in, the fact that Mitchell Trubisky got in, it really delegitimizes, delegitimizes the whole thing. Um, and I have a hard time getting myself to care. But if you care, hey, great. I'm not, I'm not trying to trash anybody for liking the Pro Bowl. If you like the Pro Bowl, do your thing, man. That's awesome. I'm glad for you. But me personally, no interest. I do not, do not find myself caring at all. No. Um... An interesting debate has come up in the last couple of months. Football fans have pointed out that the Eagles look better. Uh, and the Eagles have been really successful, maybe, with their backup quarterback, Nick Foles, at the helm. So many, many people say the Eagles should commit to their backup quarterback, Nick Foles, as their future long-term quarterback rather than Carson Wentz. Especially Eagles fans, which is crazy to me. People say things like, Man, Carson Wentz sucks, and Carson Wentz is the next Sam Bradford. And man, the Eagles are so much better with Nick Foles. Um, okay, well, first of all, I don't think Carson Wentz is just an injury-prone player who can't stay healthy. I don't, I don't think that's his, I, maybe that's a narrative behind him, but I don't think that's who he is. And why are we so quick to forget that before Carson Wentz got hurt in 2017? So in 2017... Week 14 against the Rams, Carson Wentz tore his ACL diving into the end zone. But at the time of the injury, at the time Carson Wentz got hurt, he was the MVP front runner. Carson Wentz, if he doesn't get hurt, he wins the MVP in 2017. He got hurt three weeks from the end of the season. And yet people now are ready to bail on him, say he sucks. Can you believe that? Can you believe how different would it be if he hadn't gotten hurt? And won the MVP, got hurt in the playoffs. Then Nick Foles did his thing, won the Super Bowl. If he just can say, I won the MVP, it's a very different conversation people are having. But we forget that. We forget how good he was. We forget that in 2017, Carson Wentz had 33 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, and a 60% completion percentage. All gone. Nobody remembers that at all. And then we forget, well, he missed part of the 2018 season because he got hurt. Carson Wentz got hurt really, really late at the end of the 2017 season. His ACL, an ACL takes a lot of time to heal, a lot of time to get back to where you want to be. Carson Wentz lost the first two games 
of the 2018 season because he's recovering from a torn ACL. He never really was healthy. He never really looked 100%. I think the Eagles put him out a little before they needed to because they were struggling. A little before they probably should have because the Eagles were struggling and needed their starting quarterback. Then the Eagles running back, Jay Ajayi, tore his ACL. He was out. And uh, in 11 games for the Eagles this year, Carson Wentz had 21 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 3,000 yards, and a 69.6% completion percentage. And in week 14, Carson Wentz, his, his knee hasn't fully healed, his back was hurt, and the Eagles were 6-7. and seven. Eagles pulled the plug. They said, we're not, we're not going to make the playoffs at 6-7. and seven. We're going to pull the plug on Carson Wentz. We'll put in Nick Foles for the rest of the year. And everyone was on board with that. Eagles fans, the media, everybody said, great move. They're not going to make the playoffs. Why risk the future of Carson Wentz long-term when you can shut him down, take an L for the year, let's go to the offseason? And basically because of a fluke, because really the Vikings couldn't finish. The Vikings could not help themselves at all. And the Redskins quarterback, the Redskins quarterback Alex Smith, tore his leg, broke his leg. A lot of things had to go right, but a lot of things that needed to go right did go right. And then the Eagles won their final three games, and at 9-7, and seven, the Eagles made the playoffs. They got the last wild card spot in the NFC. And then Nick Foles played really well. Nick Foles you know, beat the Rams, beat the Texans, played awesome. But uh, I don't know. The Eagles still, to this day, they're committing to Carson Wentz. Despite all the fans that are angry, despite all the fans that want Nick Foles, the Eagles said, we're going to commit to Carson Wentz. And I think it's the right move. I know it's easy on, on, from a surface level to say, well, the Eagles win a lot with Nick Foles. Look at the offense they run. Very simplistic. Very simple. They run the ball very heavily with, when Nick Foles is at quarterback. And maybe you can say that's the problem when Carson Wentz is in, whether or not as successful is they don't run the ball as much. But you got to you got to remember, Carson Wentz is an MVP candidate. He would have won the MVP. He's not a bad quarterback. He just was never healthy this year. And so those people who say the Eagles should commit to Nick Foles instead of Carson Wentz, I dare you. I dare you. Trade away Carson Wentz. If you Eagles fans, if anybody who want, he likes Nick Foles more, <laughs> If you want people to trade away Carson Wentz and commit to Nick Foles, I dare you. Go ahead. Get rid of Carson Wentz. Former MVP candidate. Would have won the MVP. Great young quarterback. Do it. Do it. Maybe the Eagles should trade Nick, Should trade Carson Wentz. Commit to Nick Foles. Trade away Carson Wentz, the former number two overall pick. Former MVP candidate. Yeah, do that. Because I'm sure a lot of teams, the Jaguars, hmm, hmm, a lot of teams. I think the Bears would move off Mitchell Trubisky if they could have Carson Wentz. A lot of teams would love to have Carson Wentz. Do it, Eagles. You don't like Carson Wentz? I dare you. The Eagles are not going to get rid of Carson Wentz. They know what they have. But their fan base is ready to get rid of their quarterback. Okay. But I would never, ever trade away a talent like Carson Wentz. He's too good. He's not selfish. He's not a punk. He's a great guy. He's a great family. And I think he's a great quarterback. I would never trade away Carson Wentz in a million years. If you did that, would be incredibly, incredibly foolish. He's far too good, far too talented for you to get rid of him. Again, the Dolphins, the Jaguars, the Buccaneers, basically every team in Florida, a lot of teams would move very quickly if they knew they had a chance to have Carson Wentz be their franchise quarterback. Maybe the, the Cardinals would. They, they might move off Josh Rosen. A lot of people would love to have Carson Wentz be their head coach, be their starting quarterback. And so, Eagles fans, you crazy delusional people who want to get rid of your quarterback, Carson Wentz, just remember, remember how good Carson Wentz was and how good he still is. And if someone's willing and eager to trade a lot to get your quarterback, it means your quarterback's probably pretty good. And so I wouldn't get rid of him very quickly if I was the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, last thing I want to talk about. <sighs> um, Derek Carr sent out a tweet to the UFC. He directed at the UFC and also directed at the UFC president, Dana White. 
he was mostly joking, but he said he talked about setting up a fight between himself, himself being Derek Carr, and ESPN First Take host Max Kellerman. In an ESPN First Take segment, Max Kellerman got very personal about Derek Carr and questioned his character, which brought along a very interesting feud, a feud I've been um, not very heavily involved in, but interested in from nonetheless from the surface. Uh, you know, Derek Carr basically retorted and said, look, you don't know me. How can you question my character when you don't know who I am? Then Max Kellerman replied. He said, well, it's my job to say what I believe. And then I said, well, touche, Max Kellerman. That makes sense. Um, it is a host's job to say what they believe. That's my job. That's what any person who hosts a show, they got to be authentic and say what you believe. Um, but the reason why this happened, it's indicative of a big problem in the news generally. My show does not happen five days a week. Two, three at the most. Probably one. I mean, in the last month, I've been in turmoil, moving all over the place, trying to figure out what I'm going to do next with my life. And I have, I've only done one show a week. And it's, been not a, it's not been a problem because, let's be honest about news. There's not news enough for five days a week. Like people that host shows for three hours a day, five days a week. I'm sorry. You're just filling time. There's not great content. ESPN First Take happens every single day, whether there's news to talk about or not. And at some point, guys are just making stuff up. And I give Max Kellerman, Stephen A. Smith, they're great performers. I, I really do. I applaud them. They're, they're great. And you see moments where they get all fired up and passionate, and they, rah, 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 and they just go. And I get it. But I went to journalism school for a year and a half at Washington State. I learned a lot about the news in journalism school. I hate the news. I hate the news with a passion because whether there's a story to talk about or not, you got to put out a show, which means a lot of your stuff, a lot of your spots are filler. And guys like Max Kellerman start riffing and get all passionate and just start making stuff up. It doesn't work. That's the issue with ESPN, with all the other, I don't want to name big networks. I like some of them. I work with them. The problem with big networks is Guys aren't necessarily saying what they believe. They're just filling time. It's one thing. If Max Kellerman was being totally genuine and saying, my job is to say what I believe. But do you really believe all the stuff you say every single day? How do you even? I I don't buy it. I just think you're just talking out of your your rear end. You're spewing BS because you got to fill time. You got to say something. Especially shows like First Take. They They are just trying to generate controversy. It bothers me so much. I hate it. I, I hate the news. I hate the way it's operated. There's there's far too much news, uh, which means there's a lot of stories that are fluff or they mean nothing because people have to fill time and get out enough content. Um, and I just think it's a big, big problem. I don't think you need a three-hour news sports show every single day. There's not enough to talk about. Unless you're going to talk about, I mean, some some radio hosts, they talk about their cheese sandwich for 15 minutes, their lunch, all kinds of crap that isn't relevant. You know, relevant to sports, I guess, but um, this came to be, this feud between Derek Carr and Max Kellerman because of the way sports are covered. Where There's way too much content every day. There is too many things being said, too many inflammatory things being said, and people saying things to generate controversy rather than because they're saying things they actually believe. That is my big problem with sports networks and with um, I mean, I try. I have to avoid it with strong opinion sports. I'm very careful with the things I say now. And I say, like, look, if I don't have anything important to say, I just don't make an episode that day. Because I don't want to put out filler, crappy content. And that's what a lot, a lot of people do in the sports industry. That's the problem with ESPN First Take. I hate that show, like, with a passion. It's my least favorite sports show. Um, Skip and Shannon, they're not very far behind. Um, those are basically parallel shows where they just say, here's an issue. You pick one side, I'll take the other. We'll argue about it. We'll yell at each other. Skip, skip. Stop, stop, please stop. Just generating controversy is their job, and I get it, but um, it's leaked into politics. It's leaked into everywhere around the world, and it just is not good. Uh, The news is not good ever, really. And Rarely do I watch a news segment and go, that's great, valuable information that I'm really going to use. A lot of it's people trumping stuff up and, entertainment has kind of become the big facet of news and it's uh it's sad because I'm, I'm just spewing out crap now i'm sharing my uh passion for why i hate news i don't want to talk about that anymore but i guess i want to say thank you so much i really 
Um, I appreciate you guys listening and watching the Strong Opinion Sports. Um, this is listening and watching too. Watching and listening to Strong Opinion Sports. Uh, so thank you so much. I'll do a show again next week. I have a lot of stuff I'm working on. I'm working on, what I want to do is an episode of top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL draft. And what I'll do is I'll do for each one, I'll do a film breakdown, like a, a three, four minute film breakdown with examples and video evidence of everything I'm talking about. And then after doing a breakdown, I will also do at the very, so 10 segments of breakdown. Then the end segment is just ranking them and where do they go in order and why. And I think it's going to be a great episode. I'll probably do that after the Super Bowl. And if you should know, um, I'm moving to the Seattle area in two weeks. And so um, more turmoil. I know my show has been very sporadic. It's been as often as I can, but it's been very sporadic and all over the place because I simply, my life is in flux. And so I'm, I'm really sorry that it's been so erratic recently. At some point very soon, I'll finally have a room and some stability and be in one place for more than a couple weeks. And until then, um, it's going to keep being sporadic. But again, very soon. Next week, I'm, I'm not moving at all next week. So I have next week, I have a show with my buddy Nathan Hawthorne, Division One wide receiver. We'll do a Super Bowl preview. We'll probably do one other show just with some couple news stuff. We'll do my own, you know, I'll do a version like this. And it's going to be a really, really fun, fun week next week. So thank you so much. I hope you have a great week. And, uh, that's been Strong Opinion Sports. Follow me on Instagram at Zach Schaumler. But um, bum, bam, we are done. Bye.